This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Co-hosting with me today is the great and infamous J.M. Paquette. Oh, you were going to say, no. go for it. Go for it. You can J.M. Paquette. I didn't, I didn't know. Sometimes the delay is bad. So Yeah, that's why I've stopped letting you say it, because there's like a 10-second delay, and then you're like, scream your name into the thing, and it's weird. <laughs> Just awkward. Anyway, um, our guest today is the amazing and multi-talented Tanya Todd. Woo! Woo! <laughs> okay. Before we get going, we're going to talk about what we're drinking. I'm, I am drinking a girl, sorry, Girl and Dragon Malbec. Ooh, that's cool. Yes, that's and fancy. I'm drinking it out of one of my favorite cups in the world that says, um, it's from Schitt's Creek, and it's David saying, I'm trying really hard not to connect with people right now. So I feel it's wine and that go well. Um, Jen has an alcohol allergy. So um, tell us what boring thing you're drinking right now. I have tea, <laughs> but it's constant comment tea, which is delicious. Tea is delightful. It's not a boring it drink. It really is. It is. And I sometimes put alcohol in my tea. I, I do too. I really actually would. One. Yeah. If I could. Irish cream and, and almond vanilla tea. Mm, it's divine. See, I hadn't thought of the Irish cream part. I put whiskey in tea. <laughs> I'm just Irish, go for it. So I'm like, let me just, I'm going to throw some whiskey in there. Whatever it is. I'm like, I, you know what? I'm going to throw some whiskey in there. Instead of put some butter on it, put some whiskey in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's my motto in life. Okay, Tanya, you have a very colorful drink. What are you drinking? I am drinking ruby red soda with kinky pink vodka in it. And wow. it is delicious. It seems divine. Oh my goodness, that looks really yummy. Okay, so to begin with, let's, you are an actress, you're an author, and you have a podcast. So that's yes. a, a whole new realm for our, our show here. Um, but a whole new world. It's okay. I'm not gonna <laughs> um, Wrong let's, show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's start with um, when you began writing. Well, I did write as a child, but I didn't really consider myself a writer. It was more about creating situations. I, I feel like I was working against the patriarchy as a child, but didn't know what that meant. And my earliest story that I remember is was called She Wolf, and it was about this girl wolf who took over the pack, <laughs> as they should. And, and it was just—I don't know why it's so memorable to me, but it it mattered to me so much. Like the this girl being told that she couldn't, and then not only did she, but she was in charge of all of them at the end of it. And it was just a short story. I don't know what happened to it. I wish I could find it. It's probably terrible. You know, <laughs> when you find your early writing, you're like, oh, maybe it's best to burn this. But it did help get me to where I am in life. Oh. And then I didn't really do much. I, I did a little bit in high school. I was in a creative writing class. My favorite teacher in the world was part of that class. Don't want to say her name because she's one of my passwords. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. People fall for that kind of stuff all the time. All these Facebook things that are like, what is your favorite pet's name? And I'm like, don't, yeah. don't answer that. What are you doing, people? 
But, right. And then they talk about their pet all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What street did you grow up on? Yeah. Right. What is your favorite childhood memory? Let's talk about that. No. Should be, what is your drag name? That it, should be your password. <laughs> it was my password for a little while. I'm a great drag character. Um, so I don't know what's chirping in the background, but that's exciting and fun. So when did you actually evolve into I'm, I'm writing? When I had a dream and I wrote that story that was in the dream, it turned out to be kind of a fan fiction of a Loki and Storm story. And then as I was writing that story, I kept having these things that are like, that's not really them. And I would put it aside. You know, it's like, I like this, but it's not those characters. It's this. And then eventually that side story that I was writing totally consumed me. I never finished the Loki and Storm story. And I had 200,000 words of this, you know, side story that I realized, hey, maybe there's a book or three in here somewhere. <laughs> oh, wow. 200,000 words? Yeah, but because I wasn't studying writing and I wasn't working on craft or anything like that, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just a whole lot of words that didn't equate to a clear story at the time. And so I started going to Henderson Writers Group and joined joined a few critique groups and they helped me shape it into a real book with an arc and good sentences that don't make people scream when they read them. At least not, I I hope they don't. And that is the story that I am now, my agent is pitching right now. Like after years and years and years of refining it, revising it, choosing different places to end it, it is now in the process of being pitched, it's on submission and fingers crossed it'll become a series, but you know how that goes. No, that awesome. totally makes sense. Um, how, yeah. Go ahead. Can I ask, how long were you working? Like how long for 200,000 words? How much time was that? Oh, I didn't just sit and write because, you know, that wasn't my life at the time. It was kind of in between. I was obsessed with it though. So it would be on my phone here, or I have this thought here, or I'm talking into my phone while I'm driving, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so it pieced together 200,000 words like that. It was not even real chapters or anything. But I'd say that probably took me a year and a half. Well, it was a year and a half from the time I started writing the Storm and Loki story. I never really consciously decided, you know, there was no point where I started the other story. It just took over. And eventually I realized, hey, I'm not writing that other thing anymore. I guess I should focus on this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. Although that Storm Loki story kind of sounds amazing. I feel like that's a variant thing. Like could be in a variant universe now that they're doing that. Well, it turns out Chris Claremont did a comic where he kidnapped Storm and gave her a, her own hammer so that she could have the powers of Thor and all she had to do was be his queen. How did that work out? My research when I was writing, <laughs> like, hey, there already was this situation. I was going to say, how did that work out for him? Not good. No. No. He ended up loving her more than he did at the start of the story, but she left him anyway. Oh, wow. That's really neat. So is this your first novel then that you've done? It is. Oh, wow. Wow. What is the name of it? Right now it's called Dark Beacon. Okay. And, you know, they're still based on two characters who are very much like Loki and Storm. 
Their names are Lucian and Sasha. That's not an accident. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. What made you decide to go the agent route? Getting published is a lot of work. And I didn't think that I had the skills to do all of it by myself. Learning how to do the cover and to just typesetting it. It's a lot of work to put a book into print. And I would rather focus on the writing side of it than learning all of these other skills, especially when there are people who specialize in those things. And I don't already have the money to just pay someone to do it. So I figured I would partner with experts to help do it as well as it can possibly be done. That makes sense. And is it intended to be a series? It is. Yeah. I mean, once you get to 200,000 words, it's, there are a whole lot of darlings that need to be culled and cultivated. And I did find a way to create an arc that would go across multiple books with each story being it's, you know, its own, its own arc. Well, one thing but I didn't understand have- any of that at the beginning. You know, that's after lots of years of and conferences and craft classes and books. <laughs> no, we definitely will have to talk after this podcast because we have a publication company that touched just that. Anyway, <laughs> moving on though. So this is exciting, but you also have a podcast. How long have you had your podcast? Since Jan- the first week of January of this year, I Very wrote good. a a blog series last year called 52 love. And each week I would give an intimacy tip for people to try in their relationships. And it would just, you know, be a blog size tip, giving examples of how to try something. And sometime last year, I was doing a lot of co-hosting on the And I Thought Ladies podcast. And because of that, I was introduced to a lot of people. I was able to do some accidental networking. You know, when you're interviewing people, you you just meet them. Some of them were agents. I ended up being part of, it was a book festival that was done online. And I was presenting about how to, how my writing and my acting kind of work together, how they feed into each other and help each other. But right before my talk was a panel of agents And I was sitting in listening because I was about to present, you know, it was online. And I realized I had some questions because people who were reading my blog were asking me to turn it into a book. Well, I studied fiction, you know, I hadn't really been working on nonfiction stuff. So I figured why not ask the experts? Is this something that anybody would have any interest in as a book? You know, I don't have a huge social media platform, but I am. I I run an author meet and greet. So every month I'm hosting, you know, it's a decent sized group of readers and authors. I am an actress, so I'm involved in the world that way. And because of co-hosting other people's shows and being interviewed myself, I was in the media maybe four to six times a month. So I was being exposed to different people. Even during lockdown, I was able to do that. And so I asked the question, a few of the agents said, yes, absolutely. There's, there's a platform there. There are different ways to, to check platform. And then somebody who had been attending that, someone I had never met, friended me on Facebook and messaged me saying, did you see the author or did you see the agent's faces? 
they are definitely interested in that. Like they, they were like, yes, yes. I want I just want to make sure, you know, so the fact that this stranger reached out to me to make sure I understood there is absolutely a market for this. I figured, okay, well, let me start trying to create a proposal for this. This is brand new information. I didn't take those classes. And Amy Collins is kind of a marketing guru. She used to go to the, she used to teach at Las Vegas Writers Conference all the time. Like she was one of the few people who was a repeat faculty member because usually they would do maybe every other year, but you couldn't do multiple years in a row. Well, she was doing several years in a row because she was just so amazing. And she had recently become an agent. So I, I already had a relationship with her. She's someone I already loved because of the conference is someone I spoke with regularly. And so I asked her, do you have any expertise on this? Do you have any maybe old posts or something on writing a nonfiction proposal? And she said, well, send me what you have and I'll help you work through it. So I sent it to her and she asked if we could jump on a call to discuss it. And that turned out to be the call, but I didn't know that because I thought we were just, you know, I thought she was just helping me. Very cool. That's very cool. So I was not prepared for the call because I didn't know what it was. I thought she was just a friend. But, you know, when you sign with someone you already know and love, you don't have that, like, I hope that this is a good person and they're not going to screw me over. I'm not worried about that at all. I think she's amazing. Well, that worked out. You seem to have the uh, luck there. That is very, very cool. Well, I feel very blessed. Yeah, I was going to say. And I think it's important you talk about networking and um, uh, interacting. I think that's huge because I think a lot of authors miss that step. They miss the step of getting out there, finding people to talk to, finding groups, going. It's not easy, but you have to push through it. Yeah. And it's, it's vital though, because you never know who you will meet at one of these things. Right. I mean, that's how I met Jen is I, I overcame my, my shyness and I was like, I know you have no idea who I am, but I think you're an amazing teacher and I just want to know you. (laughs) Thank you. That was awesome. I got to present, by the way, for those of you listening on uh, editing stuff. Yes, and it was fantastic. Thank you. Present where? Oh, for Henderson Writers Group. So I did a workshop for them on uh, 10 ways to save your editor's sanity. Yes. (laughs) No, and that's vital too because you don't want an insane editor. Um, there, that's probably a bad idea. So this has been an interesting journey. So about a year and a half of two hundred thousand words. How long did it take you to cull that down to? I have a book now. Uh, the first time, about yeah. a year. So after a year of just editing and going to critique groups, I ended up. You know, a lot of weird things happened on my journey as a writer, and a few of them have been situations that I've written manifesting into my life. So for this particular story, I, the Storm character ended up being a woman who was tired of her day job, and she ended up giving it up to become an actress. Well, I was not an actress at that time. I had no plans to be an actress at that time. It's not something I saw in my future. But after I wrote this book, and I wrote the book in secret, I didn't tell anybody at work other than my inner circle. Like There were about five people in my life who knew that I wrote this book. And oh, wow. you know, my boss was not one of them. 
Well, at a certain point, he shocking. Me, right. <laughs> he told me that they could no longer afford to keep me. That he had to let me go. He had to lay me off. And he gave me a severance package, which was the exact same amount of money that the character got in the book. And then he told me that he had a friend who's a model and an actress, and he thinks that I would be good at that. And he would like to introduce me to her so she can help get me started because he didn't want to just leave me hanging with no job. How is that? That's beyond coincidence. That's like great karma in the universe. So I just want to clarify, you can write destiny because we should probably (laughs) capitalize on that. Did the character have a winning lottery ticket? I think there are many things you need to do with this immediately. (laughs) That is so bizarre. That is awesome, though. So how long have you been acting then? Since 2017. January of 2017 is when I began my acting career. Very, very cool. That has to be, that had to be interesting during the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, there are a few things that I actually filmed from home because, you know, artists create art. Yes. Being cooped up at home doesn't mean that you're not creating. So I wrote a lot last year and I even did some filming. Like I did commercial work from home. You know, they would send you, sometimes they will send you equipment or they'll let you use your equipment and you send it to them, that kind of thing. It was just, people were getting around it. They, we're still going to have commercials. We're still going to make movies. I filmed a short that I co-wrote last year. I was kind of a, a supporting role in a feature film last year that I filmed from home. And the weird thing about that is it was originally written to, to be me as a cameo playing myself. But then I was scheduled the same time they wanted me to film. I was supposed to play Cleopatra on stage. And so it was clashing and I wasn't going to give up Cleopatra. (laughs) No, No. that makes sense. And so they had to get somebody else to do the role. And then they changed it. It wasn't a cameo anymore. They just changed the role to be someone who does some of the things that I do. And then they were shut down because of COVID. And so they decided that to finish the film from home. And they said, well, since we're finishing at home, can you just do the character again? But now <laughs> I was playing the character that they wrote and not me anymore. <laughs> so but it weird. worked out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing myself, but not myself. I'm playing a fictionalized version of myself. Right. Like it was no longer my name. But I oh, wow. was back to playing the character, but with enthusiasm because it was no longer me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so you're, are you not enthusiastic? Is that what you're sharing with us at this I'm moment? I'm not that kind of enthusiastic. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cheerleader, cheerleader enthusiastic. Right? <laughs> Unless I'm playing one. <laughs> so how much writing did you get done then during the time of the COVID? I, we're still in the time of the COVID with the right. Well, like a variant that has come out as of this weekend. The, the and I thought ladies fought the Corona ages <laughs> that we're going to be talking about this years from now. Back in the Corona ages, yes, yes, I, going I hope so. Man, I hope so. <sighs> so, how much did you get done writing wise? Like, was I? It- I adapted that Sasha and Lucian book into a screenplay last year, which was my first screenplay. I co-wrote a short film last year, and that's the one that we filmed from home. And I also began a new book last November that I actually finished 
you know, I, I started it and did the really horrible NaNoWriMo writing where you just get words on the page. And I didn't finish in November. I, I finished my ugly stuff at the beginning of January, like the first week of January. And then I took January through October to do a really nice draft of that this year. So oh, that's, I, that's, that's a lot of the writing I did last year. And then there was also the blog that I was putting out last year. In addition to just revising some of the other things that I've written, what I was going to tell you is that another thing I manifested is I have, you know, once I started writing, the muse just started attacking me with all of these different stories. Like, and what about this? And what about this? And so I had, well, I still have all of these documents with just tons and like thousands of words and notes towards other stories that I'm not actively writing. I'm just passively writing them as the, the muse gives me bits and one of those stories was about a woman who is a published author who is also an actress and does convention modeling. And again, I wasn't doing that stuff yet. Wow. So then I, I mean, and I'm still not, I don't have a book yet. So I'm still, I haven't reached this character's level yet. <laughs> but Building she goes to there. London for research for her second book. And I ended up getting to go to London in 2017 and I figured, well, since I'm here, I should probably do research since I have a lot of books that have things that happen in London. So I spent a week there rather than just the two days that I was supposed to be there. And while I was there, that's where, to answer a question you, you asked me earlier, that's where I figured out where to finish the first book from the 200,000 words. I woke up in the middle of the night before I was supposed to come home, just I rose like Dracula. Like it was just <laughs> in the middle of the night and it was, I knew where to end the book. Okay. I can go back to sleep now. <laughs> that's awesome though. But that's how it, it strikes you. Depending right, on when you're not actively brain. working on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I get ideas shower thoughts. all the time. I have yes. so many oh voice memos with in shower my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I was... do my best writing in the shower. Right. Cause you're not doing anything else. Right. Well, that and if you, I think like any creative thing, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. I know what I call um, method authors. Jeff Strand is one of these method authors that can sit down, outline a story, write the story. Like just, it's mm -hmm. very, he, he's amazing. He's a humorous horror author. That's and so I, efficient too. I adore right. the crap out of him, but he is very like, his characters don't lead him places. Like this is not... How yeah, it that's not and, me. <laughs> yeah. And some people are so fantastic at that. And it's a great skill to have. But a lot of authors are, you know, we sit here and we're like, the muse needs to come. We need to have the thing. And then we need to pull from notes. And then we need to finally have that inspiration of those method authors. Point. They're the ones who make money. <laughs> well, I think they do. But uh, I think both. I'm going to say both actually can as long as you can finish right? Um, mm -hmm. Because yeah. the biggest thing is not being finishing. I mean, that's really right. what it comes down to. Like, you're writing 200,000 words, fantastic. But if you didn't finish it, if you didn't mold it into an actual book, right, that is just a lot of time. Yeah, you could write a million words. That's great. But if it doesn't go anywhere, and you haven't put it in a form that can be shared with others, whatever that right. is, structure then, is important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just just putting words on a page. We could all sit here and 
just rambling. Yep, just mm-hmm. it's literally rambling. And so I think it's it's really interesting when when that does hit you and you can. I always have a great when I find that way to either end or fix that plot point that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this has to make sense. I know it makes sense. I know this needs to go this way. How the crap do I get it there? And then when that aha moment happens, I'm like, best day ever. <laughs> I have my aha moment. So when you went, you said you went to some critique groups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? You know, first, first all time, you're bringing a book and now you're presenting it to an audience of humans. It that was terrifying. Seen. It's terrifying. I, in Henderson writers group, they have you read your work out loud to everyone. So you get 10 minutes to read your work and then you get five minutes of critique. And, you know, at the time it was an in-person event. You go to the front of the room and I would just shake because I was so terrified to share my work. People said they couldn't hear me because I, you know, I was swallowing my voice. I was so terrified to share my soul with them that it was, it was a process that I had to work through. I never wanted to be the first reader. I needed to get myself mentally prepared. Acting helped me to get past that because I could go in there and say, you know what, I'm just going to be Sasha. And she's not scared of things like that. She's amazing. So I would walk in, present like Sasha, leave as a queen, you know? Wow. That's awesome. That, that is very I, awesome. That was not me to start. That was, you know, I was the scared little voice in the back. Please don't notice me. Please don't talk to me. Oh my goodness. It took me okay. years of teaching to get over that. The Presenting to a lot. Yeah. I, the shy part, whenever I would have to talk in front of people, my voice would shake. You couldn't understand me. I didn't make any mm-hmm. sense. And then, you know, now I've been teaching 20 years. So now I put me in front of an auditorium and I'm like, yeah, people, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, acting did that for me. I did acting when I was younger and getting up on stage in front of an audience of people, you eventually have to kind of get over yourself because nobody in that audience gives a shit that you're nervous. (laughs) No, they don't. But I will tell you that reading my work in front of people, that is more terrifying to me than auditioning because if I'm rejected at an audition, it's because I'm not right for that character. But if you're rejected reading your work, it's you, it's your soul. We hate you. <laughs> you know, there's, that's how, there's that's also, how it feels. <laughs> there's also that sense of like, uh, you know, it's it's scary to be presenting in front of your peers because they're on your same level. Like if you're just talking to strangers, then it doesn't really matter. But if you're talking to people that you want to like your stuff, then you're yeah. putting yourself out there and that's scary. People whose opinions you really value. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's how you get better. I mean, you, that's, that's what you have to do. If you are not willing to present your work and listen to what people have to say about it, you don't have to obey every critique, but you should listen to it. Yeah, no, it's true. I also feel that you have to remember whether or not the audience, when you're listening to a critique, you got to start with, did they understand what I was trying to say in the story? Right. Cause if they don't understand, it's one thing to go, Hey, were you trying to say that this person was dead? Yes. Okay. Well, you need to tweak this and this because that doesn't come completely across, right? You mm-hmm. don't have that, but you have to be very careful that they are not imposing. This is the one thing I hate about crit- critique groups. So I'm not a huge fan of critique groups. 
I can get hate mail for that. Welcome to my podcast. Don't care. Um, it's because <laughs> a lot of times it's their opinion on how they write. And it's almost like one dimensional when you're looking at how they view it. And you have to be very careful because it's great to get input from people that you see and you know, and you want to have the same successes as they do. But mm-hmm. like I've met several people who go to all these critique groups and stuff like that, and they're not actually successful authors at all, meaning they haven't actually really published anything. And mm-hmm. so they like to just critique. You got to be careful of the people that just want to give you their opinion that is not based on wanting to help you succeed. It's just I think that's true in any field, though. There are no, it's always going to be people true, who but... tell you you can't do what they couldn't do. Yeah, but you're bringing your soul into this with your little yeah, book. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and to have somebody go, your soul sucks. Then you got to go, okay, do you That's even right. get my team? It's a soul-sucking soul. Yeah. Do you even yeah. read the shit I write? Because if you don't, do not want to hear your... Right. You do have to consider the source. But if you oh, yeah. go to a critique group, you could wind up meeting critique partners that you would then meet privately people that you do mesh with and that do understand your story and your ideals and maybe write and read the types of things that you're working on. That's true. Mm -hmm. Just writers out there, be careful not to fall into the pit, find people who are constructive and not just critical. Right. You you don't just want to go for the first one that says, sure, you can read here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sure. You can read here and we will eviscerate you go, you know, that, that was Henderson writers group has a no blood on keep all the blood on the page, no blood on the floor. (laughs) That is awesome. That's terrifying. (laughs) What are you talking about? There's blood all over your stories, woman. Okay, we have to take a quick break. We will be right back with Drinking with Authors. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. We're back after a delightful fight I just had with my carbon monoxide alarm. Just mm-hmm. That's what was chirping in the background. Hashtag technical <laughs> difficulties. Okay, so let's talk about... Um, do you want to say the name of your podcast? I know you're wearing a t-shirt for those watching on YouTube, but what is the name of your podcast? It is the 52 love podcast. Very cool. And what does it talk about? Well, I've taken each of those blog tips that I did last year and I invite a new guest each week to come on. They, they try the tip with their partner and then they come on the show and share their experience with it. And then they get to share their work. Because I bring on people who are in the filmmaking industry or people who are authors or maybe photographers, just mostly entertainers. I did have someone who's involved with the Rape Crisis Center here in Las Vegas, but that's important too. No, totally. Absolutely. That sounds like- She happened to be the inspiration for one of the tips and that was the reason for bringing her on. She didn't actually have to try it because she's the one who told me about it. And it's like, that sounds amazing. I'm going to write about it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that is awesome. Um, no, nobody's interested. 
I'm interested. No, he's like, I'm going to come interrupt your podcast. You're not actually doing anything, are you? Tell him I said meow. Okay. She said meow. He's like, okay, cool. That's great. I want to go. <laughs> and if I go to pick him up, he'll be like, ah! I don't want to be up there. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a rescue kitty. We rescued him off the street. His name is Henry. And he has half a mustache. It's very adorable. Okay. <laughs> so... I think this is amazing. It's very funny that um, in a way, so I wrote a book called my home on horror Island that has four tips in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's great because giving advice, it's, it's interesting when you realize growing up that we don't have this, like sex education doesn't go, here are some things you ought to know. Like an arena that's trial by fire, it's relationships and intimacy (laughs) and what, you know, your friends Yeah, what your friend yeah. Sally told you, like, that you can't get pregnant if you do it, you know, upside down or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so funny, the misnomers. But what gave you the inspiration to do this to begin with? I needed to put myself out there more. I, I had a blog that I started and I was not even posting once a month. It's like when inspiration would strike, I would write a movie review on a hidden gem that most people don't know. And that wasn't enough. You know, it just wasn't happening enough. So I made a commitment was one of my new year's goals to put something on the blog once a week. And that's when I decided, well, if I have a theme that will help me just continue generating this, you know, if I have a specific goal, it's not just write something. I won't have to think of what I'm going to write about this week. It's always going to be the same topic. I will just have to come up with a different tip. And when I had, you know, once I came up with that concept, I just brainstormed and I had about 30 tips just right off the top of my head. And I figured I can come up with 12 more before the end of the year, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I guess I think math that's is cool. hard. <laughs> it's more than 12. I, would, I, I think it's 22. 20, yes. let it go been, there's been but, some alcohol involved with the festivities yes. today. Yeah, don't so. ask me to do math while I'm drinking. So do, do people like email you tips too? Will they send you things or do they just kind of focus on reactions? Are you talking about for the podcast or for the blog? Oh, I guess for the blog, because for the podcast, they wouldn't really email you, would they? Well, yeah. well they might, do they? They, I mean, they, they could email. message me. They can leave messages on YouTube. I've had that. I've had people okay. tell me, you know, I've tried this or I've tried a variation on that. I did open the floor for people to give me ideas for tips, but I didn't end up using anything that was sent because it was either already on the list or it was so close to something that we already discussed that it wasn't, you know, it it didn't feel like it was different enough to add. It felt like I'd be robbing the rest of the audience. Like, well, this person made the suggestion that it was almost this, but not quite. (laughs) Gotcha. Why, Jen, were you going to send in some tips? Was that your? No, I was just, I was just wondering what kind of interaction you have. Like, is it mostly people saying, yeah, I tried this and here's what happened? Well, here's the thing. Because of the events of last year, right around June was when I was thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't make sense for me to be writing about love when people are dying in the streets and protesting and the world is falling apart and, you know, people are dying from COVID. Why? Why am I writing about love? It just didn't feel important anymore. And I didn't say that to anyone out loud. It was just between me and God, you know, it's like just having these thoughts. And I started getting emails and 
responses on the blog and little messages on social media. People were saying, thank you for writing this. It gives me something to look forward to each week. Thank you for putting something positive in the world. Thank you for giving me this thing that doesn't hurt because so many things do right now. I was just getting from all these different sources. I think one was even a text message from someone who knew me. And some of these people weren't even in relationships. That's so they just, cool. They just That's enjoyed cool. reading it. And I figured, all right, I'm listening. You know, <laughs> I will take that as my sign to keep going. And so I did. So they didn't inspire me with specific tips, but they did inspire me to keep going, that someone was listening and it did matter to somebody because Mm -hmm. as the character in the book I'm not actively working on that brought me to (laughs) London, one of the characters in it says, what's more important than love? No, I think that's so I need to remember that lesson. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget. Oh, yeah. I think also as artists, we have to remember that artists are sort of what brings a lot of the light into the world, whatever the form of art that occurs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think why a lot of romance and paranormal romance and things like that are so popular. And I think it's also true why superhero movies are so popular is it lets you step out of reality for a moment. Right. And be somewhere where all these horrible things are not happening to right you know yeah i mean look at the explosion of media that people were consuming last year Mm -hmm. or even if if there are bad things like good triumphs in the end it's that reassurance that Mm -hmm. things are going to work out or if it is something really sad it can help as a release to just Mm -hmm. work through some of that negativity that you're feeling even if you're really, really miserable, sometimes you can't cry. Like you just can't get it out. And if something triggers that release, that can be healing too. Well, it goes back to that, um, that Aristotle, right? It, catharsis. If you watch mm-hmm. someone else experience tragedy, you, you know, it's that upwelling of pity and terror, that pity. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so, that's so sad. It makes me, it lets me get out my emotion, but also terror. Like that could be me. And maybe my life isn't so bad. Like yes. I could be that care. I could be getting killed on like by right. this chainsaw maniac right now, but I'm not. So I know I'm in this bad, bad situation, but-, <laughs> but things could be so much worse and be grateful yeah. for what you have, because it could be this. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that's that you a great Aristotle on this podcast. <laughs> We, that's one of the many reasons she's so amazing. She is thoroughly amazing. I just think it's amazing that halfway through a drinking podcast, we brought up Aristotle. This is right. Well, I'm drinking tea, so don't use your excuses. You're drinking tea, but you have Gollum right behind you, so you know, (laughs) in a troll. Um. So, in this journey. What is your what is your goal as a writer? Like, what would if you were to name what you want to be as a writer? What is that? What does that look like for you? I want to be able to make enough money creating art that I can keep creating art. Okay, I love that. Like it, yeah. My favorite thing with art that is hashtag life goals right there. (laughs) No, I think it's important. I think that knowing that that's your goal and you can create it, it's interesting because when I. Um, ironically, we talked about Jeff Strand before, but he talked about this because he wrote a bunch of books and had his full-time job. And there was an exact transition period where he was able to 
do writing full time and not have mm-hmm. to worry about the day job anymore. And he left really, really, he made a joke on the podcast that he left really, really nicely, just in case he had to go back <laughs> to the day job. Like, cause you know, you want to be like, I'm creating, I'm this published author. I'm doing this thing. I'm going to fucking throw a grenade as I walk out the door, screw everybody. You know? <laughs> at the same time you go, um, well, you might have to do a takey backseat if it doesn't quite go the way you want to go. <laughs> but it's also not going, you know, I think all of us want to have the J.K. Rowling, whatever Stephen King moment where we're that level of author, but just being able to um, do what you want to in your life with your art is a huge mm-hmm. thing. Meaning not trying to go, I have to make $80 million on my book, but can I write full-time or act full-time or whatever full-time, entertain full-time? And be able to have my lifestyle and do the things I want to and not have to have a quote unquote day job is a huge aspirational goal. I think. In fact, not being famous has privileges, like being able to go out in public and not (laughs) have everyone staring at you, you know, says Mm -hmm. the actress. Yeah. (laughs) Said no one ever. I think it's interesting. Does anybody ever recognize you from your podcast? Uh, no, not. I mean, it's we're in we're still in COVID time, so it's not like I go out that much. I'm I've had curious. people follow me and reach out to me on social media because of it, because they've seen it or they've watched or they've watched or listened to it, but not in public. But I really don't go out in public that often anymore. No, that makes sense. We we're in Florida, so COVID doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs> You know, so saith our governor. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting. We actually went. To My sister couple- is named Erica, and she just moved to Florida. Did she move near me? Because that would be cool. I'm. <laughs> Where are she- you in Florida? Well, we're we're out of the Tampa Bay area right now. Actually, I'm in North Carolina because I now go back and forth between Florida and North Carolina because I was like, she's trying to get away. I am slowly <laughs> trying to run where there's seasons and not. Just he, but you're you're out in the Vegas area, right? So that's yes. the desert sea, but it gets cold there. Yes, Unlike it does. Florida, where it doesn't really get cold. Hey, cause... I am wearing long sleeves and not sweating today. It's a glorious day. Okay, <laughs> what is the temperature today? Sixty. Yeah, it's that's cold winter. Out. That's winter there in Florida, <laughs> yeah. mid Florida. Awesome. Okay, it's sixty-six degrees here right now. Well, see, it's 37 degrees here right now. Ooh. Yeah. Normally you should be drinking it. tea. <laughs> no, this, the wine is warming me up. It's going really, really well. Okay. <laughs> what do you like <laughs> to read? Oh, I, I read all different types of things from comic books all the way to literary fiction. And I think you see that in my work because you'll see these strange, you know, Marvel references or Batman references, but then you will also see purple prose, you know? <laughs> so you just mentioned Marvel and DC in the same sentence. Yeah, I can oh, do that. Oh, oh. Like, you, you're not, you're not one or the other. Like what, no. what uh, they both have what, their pros and cons. Okay. I mean, you can't deny that the Marvel cinematic universe is dominating in terms of quality. They've had their, bad movies but as as a universe 
they are killing DC. But DC yeah. dominates with animated films that are made just, you know, standalone stories for animation. The ones that are Marvel are pretty bad. And the ones that are DC can be really great. And the voice actors are terrific. So in general, to their strengths. Marvel and DC. We, we don't, it's, we're also both Star Wars and Star Trek. So we do that too, just in case. I'm going to get hate mail about that as well. <laughs> So. And see, I like both, but I'm far more Star Wars than I am Star Trek. And it's not that I dislike Star Trek. I'm just more knowledgeable about Star Wars. That's where I am. Me too. I actually was at the opening of Star Wars in 1976 at the Chinese Man Theater. I was three. I wore a ladybug dress. I have a picture. It's fine. It was a good day. <laughs> this is right before anybody knew what the crap sticks it was. So people see this picture of the Chinese man theater and all the characters, all the characters don't show up for a film to take pictures and stuff mm -hmm. in most normal films. Like nobody had a clue what the course was going to be. And everybody looks back and goes, Oh, this was momentous. I'm like, nobody knew. It was after it was released, everybody was like, oh, my God, this is great. But initially, everybody was like, what? I think it's funny. I think anytime you introduce something new, it's really interesting because people are like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then everybody's like, this is the best thing ever. It's nice when you get a chance to come up with your own opinion, though. I don't like when the media starts telling you how to feel about it before you've even had a chance to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I remember that with the Princess Bride, ironically. I, um, if you ever see the um, show that, Ro what is it, R Roger and Ebert, whatever, anyway, I'm probably saying their names wrong. Half a bottle of wine, it's fine. Um, but Cisco they, and Ebert. Cisco, thank you. Thank you <laughs> for the review. I didn't know where I'm, you were going with this. I know. Rogers and Hammerstein. You can just write. That's what I thought too. I was like, wait. I, I am confidently discussing this. <laughs> But they didn't, they had a panning review of The Princess Bride when it came out. And one of the biggest things about that movie was that they didn't market, they didn't know how the hell to market it. So they didn't market it well, market it well, English. And Another. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Feel, I feel like this is Harry pocketed it. <laughs> Be nice. Anyway, The Princess Bride, I absolutely loved it in the theater but if you listen to the reviews and stuff you wouldn't have shown up for that movie because it got such bad reviews because they literally were like i we don't know what to say about this and the the original movie posters if people can find the original movie posters had like a big picture of fred savage on it and it was like this very weird kind of picture. It wasn't the Princess Bride picture. And that is one of probably the most iconic movies of all time is the Princess Bride. It's still and definitely up. one that never needs to be remade. I'm putting it on record. <laughs> My oh, I agree. students have no idea what it is. None. There. And you're not doing 20, your job. You need to create to a lesson around it. I, I did. I, I teach English so they can write about anything. And one time it came up in class and I was like, guys, like the Princess Bride. And they just all looked at me. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So next week was movie week. And then we'll be writing papers about a theme from the Princess Bride is how yes. I brought it in. But it's, it's a cultural icon, like among certain age but once you hit like low or 20s, cinephiles they, they have no idea yes okay yeah that 
I didn't have a single person in my class who recognized it. You're talking 25 people ranging from 18 to 25. I think this is a parenting thing because... I made sure Florida. my kids watched yeah, and, these and I agree movies. with that because I know lots of movies that are before my time. Yeah. It's, it's not something that age alone, you either care enough about movies that you watch things from before your time, or you have family who forces you to clockwork orange style, you know? <laughs> <laughs> with Beethoven in the background. No. Right. And I've had both experiences. <laughs> That's that's not creepy at all. That's not, not at all. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I actually think it's kind of like books. Like, I think it's very important that you have your kids read. You read to your kids. I think it's, you know, so many younger people that I hear, oh, I don't read. And I'm like, yeah. And you do. admit this willingly? They're so you'd proud be, of it. You'd be amazed. Like, when we're at conventions and stuff and people walk past the booth and we're like, what do you like to read? And they're like, I don't read. And I'm like. Do you have a smartphone? Because I know you're reading a bunch of shit online. So, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I think it's really important that we. That's don't just do that. my response when people say that to me. I don't really read. I just say, "Oh, and you admit that willingly?" I like but I that. think that, that you shouldn't also... be something that's acceptable. It's not something that should be the norm and anywhere ever. Yeah. I also think you, you have to be careful with, with pushing things though. Like if you tell some, you know, if I say this is my favorite book and you need to read it and then you're like angry, resentfully reading it, you're not going to like <laughs> it. So it's like that, you know, I'm sure we all have, like, everyone will tell you, Oh, you need to watch the show. And I'm like, if one more person tells me to watch, like, I'm never watching it. I'm just right. not going to do it because now every, you know, I'm listening I have to missed everything out on good things because of being that stubborn. I, like, oh, right? I, I can't I even wanna, say why didn't anybody tell me? Cause everyone did I don't have my own thought on it all I have is what other people are telling me it's kind of going back to that like the media tells me what to think about a certain show Wheel of Time is a good example because it just came out and people are mm -hmm. like, one star one star it's like you didn't even give it a chance yet to have to become right. whatever thing it's going to become we don't that's know. what i thought about the eternals like let other people see it before yeah. you trash it and you know what i watched it and it was fine it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It was just an okay film. It happens. The Marvel Cinematic Universe set the standards very high. It didn't meet those standards, but it's by no far the worst Marvel film out there. It's worth watching. You know what's interesting is that goes... I'm going to loop back. Watch me. You ready? I'm watching. <laughs> I'm looping back to taking advices from people that do not have similar interests to you. You have no idea what advices the media has. It's great if you can hear about things maybe you wouldn't hear about mm -hmm. because of whatever circle. But like when it comes to books and stuff like that, one of the things, books, movies, TV shows, whatever, it's interesting to me because I'm one of those people, I think we all are on this call, like I have so many movie quotes is just part of my vocabulary. Yes, my family and I have conversations in movie quotes. Exactly. And so it's funny in my work, people will be like, what is she talking about? And they'll be like, no, you got to watch Mean Girls. You can't work here if you don't watch Mean Girls. You will not understand what she's saying. This and is required it, homework. Yeah. Here are mm -hmm. the things you need to watch. And it's funny because when I give advices on humor or books or things like that, I try to go, well, what do you like to read? Well, I like this. Okay. You're not going to like this book then. You're just, 
you won't like it, but here's a book, you know, it's kind of also why in, you know, as an author, of course, I want everybody to read my books, but at the same time I go like, you know, we were discussing during the break, a story I wrote that when I was just asking Jen about it, she's talking about another story. And then I, I'm like, no, it's this one. And she's like, ah. <laughs> it had it was hard i read stephen king but bugs i can't stories with bugs creep me out yeah so that went well and um, you know <laughs> have you seen talking- the new dune yet um, see but that was fun i love dune i love the movie it was so pretty so many things i didn't watch the yeah new but dune there's yet. there's a spider with human hands and that's creepy that that was that was cre- <laughs> that was creepy I don't enjoy spiders just in general, but your story, Erica, had like bugs in a, yeah, it, no. I love spiders. Mm-hmm. They're amazing creatures and they kill the icky bugs. Yeah, I, I do too, but I'll say I didn't watch the new Dune yet because of this. I'm actually re-listening to the audiobook right now because my boyfriend who hadn't read the book, I read the book 8 million years ago. Um, he hadn't read the book and he told me, he he watched the movie without me, which was fine. We had that conversation. And he's like, it just kind of like stopped. And I'm like, I'm willing to bet they're doing a series. Hopefully they're doing it correctly because every other Dune movie previous to this sucked so oh, come on kyle mclaughlin is wonderful he, it's entertaining but it's not dune like <laughs> agree that it's not the dune story oh okay yes that's yeah. fair kind of like jurassic there, Park is there are not things quite... in that movie you can't unsee okay yeah. so Sting. jurassic well Park... you don't want to unsee that do you that's true that's true <laughs> yeah jurassic park Two. the sci-fi Labyrinth. channel adaptation of dune though was was much more accurate it's in my opinion it's more accurate, but still kind of like to me, missed the mark. And again, you know how I feel about turning books into movies. Like mm-hmm. I am not a huge fan because generally you lose something. They they lose a lot. And a lot of times Silver Linings playbooks, they go completely off the fucking book altogether. They're not <laughs> even telling the same story. You know, Jurassic Park has somewhat of the same story, but Jurassic Park is an adult book. Like now we can never have dinosaurs in an adult world because fucking Jurassic Park, but that movie does that book does not end well. So with Dune, I was like, okay. And then two separate friends that are huge fans of Dune, which I'm a huge fan of Dune was like, wait, wait till other movies come out if they make them because it just kind of stops and it doesn't. Yeah. It's not, it's not the whole story. Yeah. But so, at the same, I don't, I love when you're talking about this recent movies. one. Yeah. 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 I think they needed to stop. It's too much There's story too for much. one movie. Yeah. No, it, it's and I true. Think but they picked I, a good I'm, place to, to pause. I'll wait yeah. for number two and number three potentially, and then just watch them all. And be just very binge happy. it. Yes. Get get the whole Dune experience. Weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it, not like, like it. Lord of the Rings where they filmed it all at once. Like they didn't know they were going to get the green light to keep going. That's a risky move. Mm-hmm. No, and the way a, that it has flashbacks from fu- from the future that I imagine they're going to use in the future, like, we sorry, hope. spoilers with the visions. Yeah, no. Well, that's what it's interesting because we're listening to the book. We we did a car trip from Florida to North Carolina, it's 10 and a half hours, and we were listening to the book. And there are parts he's like, this is not. And I said, I can guarantee you they're not going to go in deep on the religious part of this. It will go to a level, but it's not going to go all the way down to what that has 
the religion and the politics part. I'm, there's no way in a movie that somebody can conceptually understand how deep that goes in the history of that situation. And there I'm like talking like a Duna expert there, but it was, <laughs> that's, that's where we went. It, but, go ahead. I would, I just want to put a, put a vote in for turning a book into a movie because you get to see familiar places and people acting in new and exciting ways. So and I would can introduce like the, the world to people who didn't read the books and then we'll yeah. go back and read them as a result of seeing it. And I mean, it's, it's a good way to get, share stories. I don't you have get a problem. Two versions. Except for when they, like, I always say, when, like, when I talk to people about taking their book and writing into a screenplay, you just recently did this, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pick what story from your book. Right. You're you going have to, to make really painful choices. You do. That was one I, of the toughest things I've ever done is cut out characters in my story to make it a screenplay. Because these are people I love. And I'm saying, you are not valuable enough to the story to keep. Exactly. That hurt. But see, you got to make that choice by writing the screenplay. What I think sometimes happens, Silverline's playbook, I'm just going to keep referencing that. <laughs> like, Do you have any I examples? Yeah, so many examples. But how do you really feel? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think the problem for me is uh, when I look like I look, watched Jurassic Park and I was like, this is really cute. They kept some of the stuff. I totally get it, but they made it so kids could watch this movie. If they made it true to the book, this would not be a movie for children by any stretch of the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. But in Jurassic Park, I'm going to use that as an example. They switched the boy and the girl character, right? I'm not 100% sure why they did that or why they made that choice, but I think it actually took a, a little bit away from the story doing that and also, they completely left out the part where the dinosaurs were already off the fucking island. Like, that's a huge part of Jurassic Park and why they're going there to see the danger, right? And the, the speed. And so I just go, I'm fine with you cutting it down as long as you don't violate the entire storyline completely. And I can mention many series. Like, I actually, same thing with Lord of the Rings, Jen, as you are the queen of the Tolkien universe a lot of um, Tolkien, what are, what are Tolkien fans called? I'm sure there's an obscene name for them. Tolkien fans? Okay, that's not right. I'm, somebody can write into the show to tell us what they're called, because I'm sure that's a better name than that. Look, but, Lord of the Rings nerds? No. It's not, not like right. Potterheads or something. There isn't There isn't a consensus. Or a J-Knight. Yeah, you're, you're just, you're, you're a, a Tolkien nerd. They're or not you're not Trekkies, you know? Yeah, there's no, there's... Name. There's if no, I get one no piece of hate mail about what they're no, called. Because no one knows how to pronounce his name anyway. So they would be right. like Tolkienian, Tolkienian, Tolkienite, Tolkien. Tolkienite, right? <laughs> it is Tolkien should, for the record. You should create one. But a lot of people saw the Lord of the Rings movies and lost their shit about certain points in the movie. Yeah. Right. But I think for the most part, he stayed very true to kind of the yeah, story. Yeah, some of the things the that were kind of didn't need to be in the movie. They were cool side <laughs> stories, but and they really added a bunch of stuff story. too. That they added a bunch of things to make it work in you know for a movie audience. But I mean, I get it. You don't you don't need Tom Bombadil bouncing around singing right. on screen in a Hollywood movie. That's not going to work. Um, I am very unhappy about the treatment of Faramir who is the best character in the entire books who is the most noble most wonderful poet in artist warrior ever 
he's the best. And they nerfed him in the movie, which just means you need to read the book, especially the end when he starts spouting poetry. Okay. Sounds like so someone has a crush. Right there. I do. I love <laughs> Faramir. Team but, Faramir. Okay. Team Faramir, which is nothing like Team Edward. I'm Team Galadriel. I mean, yes. The Lady of the Sun. Anyway, my point of this was that's exactly the thing. When you read a book, I think it's great that it introduces, but like Harry Potter's another great series that stayed pretty true to parts of the book. And then you got to, was it the sixth or seventh movie where they introduced a whole scene that wasn't even in the fucking books? Like it was the wedding scene or something like, and it wasn't in the books. And I was like, couldn't have been as bad as what they did to the Hobbit. Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff happens in The Hobbit, and they needed to show... I mean, I like it because I like movies, so I take the Lord of the Rings movie as a slightly separate journey than the Lord of the Rings book, which is why Faramir in the movie is is just sort of sad and wistful, and Faramir in the book is, is one of the heroes. But The Hobbit, too, you just have so much material. And, I mean... Thorin in the book is a jerk from the beginning to the end. He doesn't change, and that's not going to fly. You need to show like a, a progression Some kind of arc. Yeah, I'm sorry, Thorin. For those of you that love Thorin, I'm, he is. That's not okay. I'm going to get hate mail over the fact that you didn't have the name of the Tolkien fans, but They're I'm moving just on. Ringers, what? Oh, we lost her. We lost her. What the heck? Just now, we have to wait to see if she joins us again. <sighs> If she didn't join in a minute, then it was, it was. I feel like now I need to Google right. No, there isn't one. There's no, as far as I know. And it's just, you know, just going to say, I, I teach a class on Lord of the Rings. I don't know that that's going to help you in this regard. Like, no, not knowing the, the official name. Yeah. I'm sure that there are names that certain groups use, like among themselves, like we're ringers or we're Tolkienites or whatever, but. I don't know. It sounds like kryptonite. A Tolkienite sounds like a Tolkienite. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I know the groups that are, are like Tolkien fan groups are called Smiles. S M I A L. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So are you? A, a, you're, you're part of a smile. Mm-hmm. You're, are you part of a smile? I am part of a smile on languages. We meet once a month. You are such a fucking nerd. <laughs> I am such a nerd. Like I feel the like people all around the world. From the you Tolkien Society. Up on me on fucking nerddom. It's so ridiculous. Oh my god. Oh my Lord of the Rings. That's that's my it's my no, baby. By the way, I was listening to Sandman as we're wasting <gasps> time to see as you're looking at this stuff in. behind me. you you called her a troll. That's delirium, by the way. It's a little the stuffed animal. And then that's death. And that's Goldie for those of you who know the dreaming side story for the Sandman. Sorry. Continue. How did you just literally make that about you? Like I was <laughs> literally telling you a fucking story and you just made that about you. I'm listening. Whatever. Okay. So what was terribly fucking interesting to me, and it was very hard. And I realized this. So I was listening on audible, um, James Mc- McAvoy. McAvoy. I, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but mm-hmm. I love his voice. So mm-hmm. he, uh, Xavier part three, I don't know what Xavier are on anyway. Um, he reads it. And one of the things I realized, though, about trying to listen to this and the boyfriend had the same problem is it jumps around in time a lot, back, forth, back, forth. And I go, 
you know what, reading this or seeing it in a graphic novel, totally probably a lot easier than listening to an audiobook and trying to figure out what the fuck is happening and when is it happening. It it does, but you're also the the premise and where the story starts is that he has been held captive for for a period of years. So you have to start with him being held captive and getting free. And then how did he get captured? He's supposed to be, you know, like this super powerful eternal. So you, you bounce. And then what's been happening over the 60 years while there's been no dream, like what has the universe done to, to deal with that? So story-wise, it's like, you, you know, you started in medias race, you started in the middle of things, but then you have to go in and fill in all those plot holes. But yeah, it is a little chaotic. It does smooth out. Uh, the story, but it is, it's more like a radio broadcast. I feel it's not yeah, a regular audio book. It doesn't do that. That's not the way it's the, the audio book is going just for the record. Well, it, it, it will smooth out. I promise. Like by well, the time you get to the diner, I don't know where you are in it. I'm quite a ways through. Did I get to the diner? If no, you but, had, you would know. No, I didn't get to the diner yet, but I'll tell but, you it's, it's, it starts with the guy doing the spell that ends up capturing him, capturing him. Some of the stuff that happens with the family and it's moving backwards and forwards, but it, he's going pre being captured, post being captured, pre being captured, post being captured. And it is the most bizarre fucking thing in the entire universe. And it's very hard to keep track of while listening to it. it just that, is, that is true. I, I came to it having, like I read Sandman when it came out. I read it when the trades came out and then I reread it right before the audio. Like I, I love Neil Gaiman. You're back, Tanya. We're, yeah, having, a whole, we're having a whole chat. About <laughs> Sandman. We're having an argument about Sandman while you were gone. My computer gave me 30 seconds notice that I was running out of juice and, you know, you reach to plug in and it was just down like, okay. So then I had to like, hard, did we hard boot. her with the Lord of the Rings <laughs> comment? <laughs> and she's gone. No. Like, how could you not think the Ladriel is the best? Goodbye. <laughs> yes. Well, that, well is that, that's the argument that uh, Gimli and Legolas have, right? With the Lady of the Sun and Lady of the Moon. He's like, well, I love Arwen. I love the Ladriel. Well, we can both love, you know, you love the sun and I love the moon. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of the sun, but Galadriel is amazing. Yeah. Okay. She's pretty cool. She led the, the people through the Helcaraxi before. I'm pouring more drinks. She's got a whole big backstory line in the Silmarillion. That yeah, nobody fucking then, reads the Silmarillion. If we, if we watch Thor Ragnarok, we see what happens if she accepts the ring. Exactly. Right. She's, I don't know, that character. I, like that, we were talking about the Hobbit, right? How they added a bunch of things that didn't need to be there making up an entire elf, which is fine. What, you know, like I said, I enjoy them. They're, they're great movies, but you have an entire backstory where there are several dozen female elf characters that you could have brought in to play that role. And you didn't have to make one up. Just, I don't think they, that, that did not need to be three movies there. You finally have source material that is this big. You could actually make a one long movie and include all the stuff in it. And they decided, nah, no, we don't want it to be it. good. We just want to make money. But well, I do. I love Martin Freeman. Isn't that his name, Martin Freeman? I like oh. him as an actor too, but that doesn't mean it needs to be three movies. No, somebody <laughs> gave Peter Jackson. They were like, "Oh, the Lord of the Rings worked. You know what we should do?" Yeah, there's a lot more source material there. 
You know, it's kind of like anybody who gives Kevin Costner movie money to make a movie. No offense. You know how I feel about Kevin Costner. I love Kevin Costner. Actually, I love Kevin Costner. Mr. Brooks the other day, which was a fucking awesome movie, by the way, and when he's a killer. But mm-hmm. anytime they, ever since Dances with Wolves, I feel like they give Kevin Costner money. He's going to make some epic, gigantic thing that could have been way less time. So it's probably the reason they're not giving him money anymore. So, Tanya, do you get any of your story inspirations from movies? Let's talk oh. about writing. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about writing. <laughs> well, we were talking about reading and then movie adaptations. That's fair. You know, I, I would say I find inspiration everywhere. So whether I'm reading a book, watching a show, watching a movie, there's always going to be a moment that will just inspire an entire, you know, like a one word thing or one phrase. And you can build an entire scene around just this one moment that you either read or saw on screen. And so in a sense, you're stealing a piece of that moment for your writing, but it's not the scene that you're watching or reading. It just inspired you. You know, you you just, it sparks. That happens in conversation too. Someone will say a phrase that you would never think, like my roommate says dollars to donuts all the time. That is not a phrase I think. And I can't wait to have a character who talks like that. (laughs) Dollars to donuts? He always says I will bet you dollars to donuts. It's blank. Like, that's just not a phrase I ever think. And I need a character <laughs> who talks like that. Well, you said oh earlier um, that your muse attacks you. And I thought that was a great turn of phrase when you get attacked by the muse. Yes, because that's when I'm exercising or I'm in the shower. That's when I'm attacked, when I don't have a way to record it immediately and it's just and this and this and this and then this will happen and you're getting all these details and this great dialogue it's just flowing and you're like I have no place to put it so you have to just keep saying it in your head while you're doing the thing so that as soon as you get out you can drip wet and put it in your phone (laughs) so question do you have conversations as if you're your characters out loud no, but I do have characters who speak to me. So I don't need I, to, it, it won't be out loud. I have conversations. They're just not out loud. So sometimes I actually do the conversation and see how it flows as I'm thinking about the conversation and go, does this make sense when I'm saying it out loud? That can phone? work. I have become my characters and gone out into the world as them to see how people react to them. That's cool. That's pretty badass. That's interesting. Yeah. How do people react to them? I mean, depending on the character. There's there's one character that I will admit is she's derived. I mean, all of my characters are me to some degree. They're just not each other. But some one of my critique people, and this is from a public group. It wasn't one of my personal critique partners. Had a very strong reaction to how she interacted with someone in the service industry. So I went out into the world and did that exact thing to see what the service industry, how they responded. And it was interesting. And then I had my own experience not being the character in a different situation. And I went to the same place three times in a weekend because I was seeing a lot of shows 
in the, like I was working for someone in Las Vegas as a content writer. As a result, I had free access to all of their shows and there were a lot of shows. So I was just binging them over a weekend and I went to the same venue three times. And apparently I already had a reputation because <laughs> the people behind the counter are like, oh, it's that girl. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? I'm very finicky about the, the items I choose behind the counter. And I think that that was one of those, oh, I guess I am my character like that. You know, I didn't realize <laughs> that that was really me. <laughs> That's, That's interesting. Funny. But I had already mm-hmm. tested her out in the field and people were really nice to her. So, and they accommodated her. So I thought it was fine. But it, that doesn't mean there won't be the occasional person who's like, oh, we don't want you to make your own choices. We just want to give you whatever we want to give you. Gotcha. And then on that trip to London that I told you about, I was a different character from a separate story I haven't mentioned yet that is also a passive story, not actively working on it. But I was there. She does this very particular exercise regime outside to do her stretching before she runs. Because if you do it at home, you're not going to still be warm by the time you, you know, take the subway down to a park in London you're not going to be warm anymore. So she does it there. She decides, I don't care what these people think of me. Okay. So I look weird while I'm doing it. So I did it, (laughs) which was not easy. It was like, you know what? She doesn't care. So I don't care. So I'm just going to do it. And a group of children on a field trip walked by and pointed and laughed at me. And I had to just keep going because (laughs) I wasn't me. (laughs) You know, I think that's a really interesting idea to get over writer's block too in a story is go out and be the character. You'll test it. Yeah. Don't, if you write like me, serial killers and stuff, don't go kill a bunch of people that's going to be frowned upon. Do not say that I gave you that advice on the show. <laughs> Do not go cheat on your spouse or whatever unless they're in. No, but that. you could interview people. Yes, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying you can you can go put yourself into certain settings as the character and really assume the character and go, how would they interact with this situation when it happens? And then how would they overcome problems that rise? And you would not necessarily think of some of the problems that happen. I was I would not think of a children's field trip or people pointing and laughing. I would, you know, maybe commenting or judging her, but not laughing at her. <laughs> So, you know, when I write that book, that has to happen now. (laughs) I hope that you absolutely include that. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have realized, even though we had a brief intermission, we are at the end of this this podcast. So, Tanya, um, because your book is not quite yet published, which hopefully it will be very, very shortly, and you will be the published author. (laughs) Um, But... People can find you on your podcast, which is called the 52 love podcast. Awesome sauce. And this is on, I'm sure where podcasts are found and on YouTube. It's, it's on YouTube, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, wherever podcasts are available. Awesome sauce. And is there any upcoming acting work that you want to pimp out on the show? I just finished filming a, a feature film called hell's coming for you. And that was a very interesting experience that the character that I was offered 
was not my favorite character in the world. I, I had some issues with her choices. And when I talked to the director and the, the writers, they worked with me and they gave her a better character arc. So I'm very excited to see how that plays out on screen. What kind of movie is this? It's a horror action thriller. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Those can be some of the best, Aliens. Just saying, some of the best movies. This is awesome. You have been so thoroughly fun to have on this show. Well, thank you. Have you have been awesome. Thank you oh, where so can much. We, I, I, I do want to ask a favor. May I plug the, the short stories anthology that I just oh, got please, published in? Oh, please, please, plug, 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 plug. Yes. So this is Love in the Dunes. Vegas Wrights does this thing every year where they pick the people that they believe are up-and-coming authors in the world of Nevada and they put together a theme and they asked them to write toward that theme. And they approached me this year and asked me to do something for Love in the Dunes. Cause even though I do have a quite a bit of a dark side, I write about love a lot. I just write about love and obsession and the things that go along with that. You know, I don't write romance <laughs> because I don't promise a happily ever after, but everything is romantic that I write. <laughs> I love all and so of that. what I did is I took a, a short portion of the novel that's on submission and I thought, okay, I have all this work that I'm doing right now. I was just overloaded with things. I'll cheat. I'll take a short, you know, a, a chapter and turn it into a short story. But because I had to set up the situation, it ended up taking on a life of its own. And it's not even, <laughs> it's not in the book. It's what happens right before in the book. And it's an entity on its own. And I'm very proud of what it became. <laughs> very cool. That is awesome. So love in the Dunes and they can find it on Amazon and everything? They will be able to find it on Amazon soon. They There is an issue with the cover, so it's not quite for sale that, there yet. But I can let you know as soon as those links are available. Then it should be available wherever books are sold. And we need your social media stuff. Oh, yeah. Where we find you? Media. You can find me on my website, MsTanyaTodd.com. That's M-S-T-O-N-Y-A-T-O-D-D. I'm at Ms. Tanya Todd on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can also look me up on IMDb, and that's just Tanya Todd. Very, very cool. You have been amazing. Thank this you. Is this first is the first person that said IMDb. I just love that. That's the first person that said that. You know, what's been really fun is I've given a lot of people on my podcast their first IMDb credit. Oh, really? Because very it's a talk cool. show, technically, and it goes, it has its own slot on there. They had a spot for podcast talk shows, so I figured, why not? It will never, give these people never... a new credit, you know? <laughs> That's Listen, cool. people who are listening now, people will get IMDb credits for I don't think that's a good plan. I don't think we should be up there. But yes, <laughs> you could. Oh my God, this is amazing. You are so much fun. You absolutely Thank are. You. Wonderful. I've never done a drinking podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, oh, I don't drink a lot. What if I say something I shouldn't say? I'm sure I'm going to say something way worse than you, so you're golden. It doesn't matter. This has been absolutely amazing. Okay, so this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been... Pam Paquette. I can always make that weird. Anyway, our guest has been Claudia <laughs> Todd, and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>